0: Turning your Bibles, moving to 1 Samuel chapter 8, <clears throat> continuing our pursuit of God's truth from this portion of His Word. This morning we come to 1 Samuel 8. I think it's a great place to kind of dig in a little bit to some of the reasons why we sin. As I was thinking about <clears throat> that, it reminded me of the, the old uh, story of uh, We, it was one of those old jokes. Just everybody knew uh, that I I knew growing up, and it was it's it's about the time a little boy played hooky from church, and his parents pretty much knew he played hooky, so they were questioning him at the dinner table. You know, did you go to church this morning? Oh yeah, I was there. I was there. Oh well, if you were there, why don't you tell us what the preacher preached about? You know, and he thought a minute, and he said, Well, the preacher preached about sin. He said, okay, well, what did he say about sin? He said he was against it. You know, and you had to live during a time when all preachers preached about sin and were against it for that joke to make a lot of sense. We're now living in a time where all preachers don't preach about sin, and they're not all against it. And so we kind of, you know, just halfway get what's going on there. There's so many churches are filled with, you know, three steps to help you do this, and five steps to help you do this, and ten steps for you to get to here, and you know, there's not as much where you're digging into what was the offense, why God didn't like me to begin with, how did I get into this, what is sin, and why do I sin? Um, this is a great passage that kind of lets us dig into that a little bit. We know. This passage, it's, it's very common knowledge that there was a time when Israel sought a king. And that's First Samuel chapter 8. Uh, but to think about some of the consequences of this sin and why they did it. Consequences of sin remain the same. The wages of sin is death. And much of the misery we experience in this life are the results of sin. Um, what causes us to constantly be such a disobedient people if we know the wages of sin is death, if we know sin leads to consequences um, that uh, are, are not pleasant. I don't know if you've had this experience. Apparently Joe has. He just shared with us, you know, this dialogue with your wife kind of thing. You know, if you do want to know anything about your own sin, just ask your spouse. They, they know. They do have that list. I'll take it one step further, my wife not only has the list, she's befuddled by some of the things on the list, you know, because I'll do crazy stuff that I I didn't really mean to do, at least I don't think I meant to do it, you know, but I'll say things or do things and then that are sinful, and she'll like, you know, say something that cuts her down instead of builds her up, and she'll look at me and say, what on earth were you thinking? Why did you do that? And what do you say in response? I say, well, uh, Jeremiah 17, uh, 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked. and uh, It's beyond finding out. <clears throat> or Psalm 51 says, I was conceived in iniquity. In my mother's womb I was born in sin. Yes. That's what, I mean, theological answers don't really cut it at that point, do they? I mean, it's just, it's not going to work for you. I've already tried it, trust me, it's not going to work. Why do we sin? Why do we do that? And why do we keep doing it when we've done it before? Um, Maybe we can dig into this passage and understand more of why we sin and then gain success in not doing it as much. I want us to, I want us to look at uh, sin, first of all, from more of the motive standpoint. What were, what were the motives that led us to sin? Let me read the first eight verses of 1 Samuel chapter 8. It says, and it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons over, judges over Israel. Now, the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah, and they were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after a dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. So you, you already see a pattern. You remember before Samuel was Eli, Hophni and Phineas, their sons. Eli wasn't the best at not sinning. Hophni and Phinehas were not the best. Samuel takes over and now his sons, they're not getting it either. Verse 4. People get that they don't get it. They have the list. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and and they said to him, Behold, you've grown old, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, The Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Well, let's stop there and think about it. They're sinning it displeases Samuel that they're sinning. God points out, I get that they're sinning. They've been doing this for a while now. You would think they would they would figure this out. What was their sin? First of all, let's just stop and say the sin was not asking for a king. It was expected that they would get to a place at some point to ask for a king. So just asking for a king per se was not their problem. It, I'll show it to you. Look back at Deuteronomy chapter 17, one of uh, the great passages on leadership. First, uh, uh, Deuteronomy, excuse me, chapter 17, beginning at verse 14. So they they haven't come out of you know coming out of Egypt into the promised land. Here's here's the book to guide them. Verse 14: When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, here's God's affirmation, you shall surely set a king over you. So doing that's not the problem. But let's, let's read on and see what kind of king they should be asking for. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen you shall set... As king over yourselves, you may not put a foreigner over yourselves uh, who is not your countryman. This is the verse really that gave um, credence to the whole birther debate during the Obama administration and all that. That some of our forefathers saw our our leaders needed to be born and raised here. They needed to be countrymen. They they got it from reading Deuteronomy. Verse 16. uh, Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses since the Lord has said to you you shall never again return that way he shall not multiply wives for himself or else his heart will turn away nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself Nor it uh, now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests well, the king couldn't go down to the you know, local drugstore or, or, or mall somewhere and buy a copy of the Bible. He couldn't go to Amazon.com and, and grab one of those. He had to write his own copy of Scripture. So that's the kind of king you want. Someone who will sit down, first order of business is to write his own copy of the Scripture. Verse 19, "...and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes." that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. So that's the kind of king God had planned for his people. When you get there, you shall surely ask for a king. This is the kind of king you should ask for. Now, when we get over to 1 Samuel 8, and they do ask for a king, you begin to quickly see this is not who they're asking for. They're not asking for a king consistent with Deuteronomy 17 at all. Um, They're asking for a king. Maybe you get a glimpse of it in the phrase, like the nations, but that language was in Deuteronomy as well. Um, But there's something clear about their motive to God that God points out to Samuel. You saw in verse 6, it wasn't pleasing to Samuel. But in verse 7... Why is it not pleasing? God says in the last phrase, uh, He says, When they say to you, what they say to you, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. Last part of verse 7. But they have rejected me. From what? Being king. From being Lord over them. Uh, The last part of verse 8. They didn't just forsake you, Samuel. They forsake me and serve other gods. See, they're not just asking Samuel to replace you, you're old and you're going to be replaced anyway. They're not just asking to replace your sons. They're not doing a good job. They're sinning. But they're, they're asking to replace me. They, they use the language that your sons aren't doing a good job as kind of a smokescreen. What, what they're really asking is to be underneath a different God. To be underneath a different rule. Samuel ruled by the word of God. They didn't want that rule. They wanted to get out from under it. God got it. What I see from these people in their heart, they don't really want to follow my word or my ways. They didn't even bring up Deuteronomy 17 that the king king they want is going to have his own copy of the word and he's going to read the word every single day of his life and his kingship and he's going to meditate on it and he's going to follow it and he's going to keep it. They didn't bring any of that up. That's, that's not what they want. They want a king like the nations. You know, uh, it's, it's. Um, what's your motive when you're raising your kids? Is it that they would follow God or that they'll just, you know, hush up and be quiet? You know, sometimes we say, well, yeah, I want to follow God. Or is it really our motive? Or do we want to keep from being embarrassed? Or do we think about, their relationship with God. I have people come to me and say, well, preacher, you know, one that I remember that I just, I thought it was a little humorous. It's really sad. Uh, he came to me and said, uh, I switched jobs and I'm not going to be able to be at church. I said, okay, uh, what's the situation? He says, well, I work six days and um, Sunday's the only day I have for my family. And I thought about that a minute. I said, okay, so what you're saying is family's more important than Worship or praise or obedience to God. I get family important. But it sounds to me like you're using that as a smokescreen. For not wanting to worship and praise God. You know, do you remember the fourth commandment? Because the fourth commandment says work six days. And that's what you're saying you do. Work six days and then remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So they're not in conflict. But we use ones because, well, I I thought you valued family. I do value family. I get that family's important and you need to spend time with them. But does that mean you don't spend time with God in corporate praise? Uh, You know, to think through that. What's your motive? Is it that you just really want to get out from this accountability group? You want to get out from... Uh, being underneath the preaching and teaching of the Word? Is that really the motive? That's, that's what was going on here. We sin because of selfish motives. There's times we, we just want to live life and do life our way. Um, and we want to get out from under God's way. They wanted to be dependent on no one, certainly not God. Um, they wanted to be like the nation's. They didn't want to have to follow the Bible and do things God's ways. Are are, are we engaged in legitimate activities? You know, yeah, I mean, you think about all the activities we do. Family, legitimate. Eating, legitimate. Drinking, legitimate. Working, legitimate. I mean, but do we do those as unto the Lord? Are we under the Lord? Or is our motive sometimes to get out from under? Um, and to think about, uh, Lord, I just, I, just, I just want to do what I want to do because it pleases me, or does it please God? Well, that's what's going on here. Let's, let's keep going. We, we sin because of our selfish motives. Think also of the manner in which they do it. Selfish manner comes out, verses 9 through 18. God says, now listen. Listen to their voice, however. You shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure. So this is the manner. You tell them about the procedure of the king who will reign over them. And the next is just God's illustration. If you seek a king like you're asking for a king, this is the kind of king you're going to get. Verse 10, So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. You remember back in Deuteronomy, don't multiply horses chariots that got here's the king he's going to do this you're looking for the wrong king verse 12 he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots he will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers and he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards, and 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 give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take uh, your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and of yourselves will become and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day, interesting, God said, I'll let let them have what they want, and it's not going to be good, it's going to be miserable, Uh, life's going to get worse, and they're going to then cry out and say, God, deliver us, and God says, and I'm going to say no, because I told you, don't go here, you want to go here, that's your heart's desire, is to be out from under my authority. You're seeking a king that's, that's nothing like what I would have picked for you. Um, it's your selfish motive. Um, and now you, it's, it's creating a manner of life that it just shows sheer selfishness. Over and over and over. Independency from God. Um, I know the Bible has absolutely nothing to say about us being puppets. We are not puppets. I hate using this analogy, but it just works. You remember the puppets that are on a string, and as long as somebody's over, over the puppets with the string, you know, moving it, the puppets work. But we're like puppets that want to cut the strings, and that's miserable. Then we, we really can't do anything, and that's what he's, he's talking about here. He said, you want to cut yourself off from God. And when you do that, life does not get better, it gets worse. Your manner of living is, is to just go and do life without God. That's not going to go well for you. I'm going to let you do it. But it's, don't you know. when it goes bad, don't think, you know, okay, God will get us out of this. God says, no, you will suffer. Um... A guy came to me once, he had asked me to pray for his job promotion. I said, well, okay, um, I'll pray that God will you know, bless you with some wisdom and discernment and that kind of thing. And he comes back, hey, I got the job, I'm excited, are you excited? And I said, because I knew what his job was going to do. And I said, you know, I would be excited for you if your job enabled you to advance the kingdom of God more, if it enabled you to be the godly husband your family's begging for and the godly um, father. I said, I would be excited for you. He said, oh, okay, you know, and and walked off. Because I knew where he was going with this. This was a job that offered him doubled his salary. It enabled him to travel the world. Uh, And uh, within a month, he was in divorce court. Is money really worth that? That you just completely abandon God's design for you, and that's what I saw him as. You're, the The way you're pursuing this is just completely independent from God, and it's not going to go well. And now he lives a very lonely, miserable life. He's got plenty of money, but a very lonely, miserable, out from under God kind of life. Look at a sobering verse Psalm 106:15 Psalm 106 4 so he gave them their request but sent a wasting disease among them times when we request, God, I want more, I want more, I want more. I need food. God gave them quail. And then there's a disease that spreads among them. And life gets miserable. How many times have you prayed this week, Lord, don't give me what I want. Don't give me what I ask for. You know, that really should be a frequent prayer request. God, this is what I want. But God, do not give me what I want. Don't give me what I ask for because I'm too small. I'm too unthinking to really request what I need to request for. Don't give me what I want. Give me what you want. Thy will be done, not my will. Give me what you think is best for me. And don't give me anything less than your will because my manner many times is just to do what i want independent of what god wants and that's not going to go well we need to learn that lesson god says tell them it's not going to go well will that turn them around will they will they change their ways if they if they realize sin causes misery well they did not a lot of times there will be a preacher or somebody will say, you know, that's not going to go well for you. And we say, watch me. And we do our own thing anyway. And it doesn't go well. And God says, told you. Now you think I'm going to get you out of it. No, you're going to suffer. And there's going to be misery and consequences for our sin. Um, We need to understand that and uh, seek not only to have God as Lord, but have God as Lord the right way, so to speak. You know, it's like um, a kid uh, watching you put on your garments and you put on a hat maybe. You say, hey, I want one of those. And you put a hat and you put it on sideways. No, no, no. Put it on right. They don't just want what you've got. They want it the same way you want it, same way you've got it. And God's saying the same thing. We want a king. What's wrong with that? Yeah, but you don't want the king the way I want you to have the king. You know, and to think through God's ways, not just God's word. How is this to be lived out? Um, think think through uh, what Joe said earlier about repentance. As as I as I thought through that, yeah, repentance is not changing. Um, one set of works for another. But true repentance is really changing one Lord for another. And that can't be done except by grace, faith in Christ. But it, it's giving up us being boss. We're, we're in charge to turn by faith Christ you're in charge alone. You are the boss. You're the king. It is a, that about face that they weren't asking for in 1 Samuel. We need to see. Um, We need to ask for that. Um, Well, it goes on in 1 Samuel 8, verses 19 through 22. It says, nevertheless, I think uh, the contemporary word for that is whatever. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen, like whatever, to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice, appoint them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to a city. Well, they'll search for Saul and we'll, we'll see that, that kingdom arise. But let's, let's think about this, this idea that methodology doesn't matter. If you get the king, you're asking for this. Is what he's going to do? Yada 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 yada. And they said, whatever. What? That doesn't matter. That methodology, which is contrary to God's word, doesn't matter to you? No, it doesn't matter. We just we need a king. Other nations have kings. They seem to be successful. We know this is what we need. I got a phone call um, not long after I started being pastor here, and. Uh, we were, you know, in this fundraising campaign to pay for these buildings, and uh, some guy on the other end of the phone says, hey, I got a great way for your church to make a lot of money. I said, okay, I'm listening. You know, and he said, "Uh, cookbooks. He said, you know, y'all can sell cookbooks. Everybody put in their recipes, sell cookbooks. You'll make a fortune. I said, no, thank you. He said, what, you don't want to make money? I said, no, I don't think you get it. I said, you're not even considering methodology. You're not considering what pleases God. It's not that God doesn't want us to have money. It's not that God doesn't want us to have our buildings paid for. It's God says He delights in tithes and offerings. Where does He say He delights in raising funds through cookbooks? See, the methodology is completely different. I want those things that delight God. And, And you're just thinking, what's the quickest way to get to money? Let's do it anyway. Let's do it the way the other people. There are lots of people making lots of money doing this. Yes. But is God pleased? Is it the way God has designed? I mean, it, it'd it be like, you know, some of you coming to me and say, hey, we need to hire Perry Noble to be a consultant. He'll teach us how to grow a church like he grew his. And he probably would. He's a phenomenal leader. But you're asking for methodology. Instead of asking for what delights God. There's lots of methodology. There's lots of there's lots of things that you can do to do things differently. Give us give us a king like the nations. Let's let's do it their ways. God says really? They said, whatever. That works. But it's not about whether it works or not. It's about whether it's pleasing to God. we We need to grapple with that. Why do we sin? Because we've got selfish motives. We've got selfish manners. We've got selfish methods of what we can get from things. Rather than going to God first and say, God, we humbly surrender and subdue ourselves to you and submit to you. And we read your word and we follow your ways. When we don't seek God first, it's not pleasing. Psalm 51, King David, who's going to be the second king here. What does he say in Psalm 51, verse 17? A broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. A broken and a contrite heart. That's, that's not a heart that's going to be sinning. A heart that's broken before God and saying, God, not my will, but your will, your ways, your methods. You know, so many times we 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 seek Our ways. God, I want a marriage partner. I want her the way I want to get her, or him the way I want to get him. Instead of saying, God, who is it you want? What kind of person would be best suitable as my mate? Or God, I want to I want to lose some weight. Real? Well, great. So I'm gonna try this diet plan. Do we really do that? Or do we even take it to God? Because taking it to God means. There needs to be that humility, that repentance of God. What are your ways? Have I become an idolatrous, idolater? Have I become a glutton? Have I gotten to this place that I worship food more than I worship you? Do I need to repent of that and come under your lordship? In my work, do I do do it because it, it pays the bills? Or do I do it because it's your calling and giftedness? You've given me to advance the kingdom somehow, so do I repent of, of my methods or, and follow God's methods for that? The way we do church, sometimes we don't even stop to think about the liturgy. Is it something that's pleasing to God? Is it His methods, or is it just something we like? whatever the area of your life, why why are you doing it? Are you sinning and doing it, or are you really under God's lordship? Have you sought another king? Have you sought to do life yourself? What causes us to sin? We all go astray. We all need Christ. We're all like independent puppets that have cut our strings at times, and I, I just want us to, to think through that and, and and begin to enjoy the life God gives us, freed from this bondage of sin. We're not going to be able to get there without dealing with our hearts, our motives, our manners, our methods. Let's pray together. Father, we um, know you're against it. We know the wages of sin is death. We know we'd like lot rather talk about fun stuff, but nevertheless, sin causes a separation between us and God. And Lord, help us to see it's this sin we need removed. Help us to see it so that every day we awake, rejoicing that Christ is our Savior. But as our Savior, let us not just rejoice that He's a priest that saves or a prophet who proclaims, but let us see He's also a king before whom we must bow down and submit and surrender to or we are an obstinate, rebellious people. Father, remove the obstinance. Remove the rebellion. Make us a people that get back to Your Word and abide in it every day make us a people that is not about our will and what we want and what pleases us but about what pleases you father we want to be we want to be a people you delight in we know that that means being clothed in the righteousness of Christ that means living like Christ so father transform us turn us from our loyalties to ourselves That we might be loyal to you first and foremost. For we ask all this Lord in Jesus name. Amen.